Last week we talked about getting to know a person and what those what that could look like in the sense of asking good questions. We talked about how our lives are really marked by a very occasional conversations and we fool ourselves into thinking that the small margins of conversation really have something to do with the larger margin of life that we go through and that's oftentimes not very true. We talked about asking uh, questions under three categories, define, clarify, and explain. Define, clarify, and explain. Whereas as you're asking a question, you're asking them to define the terms that they're using and then to clarify those terms with concrete examples and then to give examples of those, um, of those terms. Talked about asking what questions, how questions, why questions, all with the purpose of understanding that Christ gives sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf, and he did it physically, and he does it now even spiritually. And the way he uses us or delights to use us, we don't know the heart, but he has given us the ability to know the heart through good questions or to pull, draw out the heart to help one another see and hear spiritually the real condition of the heart that they're dealing with. Good questions are the means by which we do this. One of the things I was thinking about is we have to realize that everyone, not everyone is in the, in the context of, of ministry or, or in the context of an actual profession going to be a biblical counselor. We're not putting this, using, doing this course for that purpose, but we all do live in relationships and those relationships have many different contexts. You have relationships of home or extended family, uh, maybe work or relationships around some hobbies that you enjoy or relationships around some recreation or church. And not every uh, conversation has to be viewed with the lens of what's going on, what, you know, what's really at the heart of the matter. There are many relationships and conversations uh, within those relationships that are quite benign and simple and enjoyable and something we can uh, look forward to. But those types of conversations, just the sort of the mundane, everyday type of conversations, in a sense, are the ones that if you're showing that you care enough about that person and that you enjoy that person enough, those are the type of conversations where relationships, our trust is built in the relationship that would lead to deeper questions. Or maybe it's not even the deepest question that they're dealing with, but just having gained some sort of a relationship with you, they float what I would call a mid-level question. I remember the first year of marriage asking Lucy what's going on, and she would tell me something. And I've learned now that that first thing probably wasn't the real thing going on. But she was testing to see how am I going to respond to it because there wasn't trust built to that level yet that there is now where she can go right to the heart of the matter. But they might float a question. Well, how is he going to respond to that? To the purpose of getting to the deeper question. Those are the conversations we're looking forward to and why we're studying and preparing in this course. And when people are calling up or asking a deep question, from my experience, it's rare that they simply want sympathy but they want answers and they're looking for answers and they're wanting to see if you can help them find the truth that relates to the situation that they are in 
So asking good questions, getting to know a person. But what do we do with the information that we gain? And that's what we're going to talk about today. What do we do with the information that we gain after asking good questions? The information that we gain helps us to discover where change is needed. But then we've got to make sure that we process that change biblically. We've got to help them process it biblically or help process that information biblically. This is a quote from David, uh, Paul David Tripp's book. Personal ministry gets you involved with people who are lost in the chaos of life, whose lives are complicated by their own foolish decisions or the sins of others. If you just take the, a, a problem within a marriage as an example, that problem comes with layers upon layers upon layers of a background history, uh, present circumstances, past sin. Children are probably factored into that difficulty. Stress over work may be factored in. Communication problems, significant experiences in both a couple of individuals involved in the marriage in their lives, temptations, responsibilities, finances, unconfessed sin, and probably much more. And all of that is laid upon you in a very intricate and confusing web, and you've got to figure out with good questions, now what do I do with all this? Because there's just a massive jumble of information that I've got to make sense about. And it can be a very daunting thing to do. But how do we process all that information biblically? Let's look in our Bibles at John chapter 4. We would know this passage well, the woman at the well. But as example, let's look at John 4. The chaos of it all certainly shouldn't deter us from ministering to others. When we minister to others, we are able to see God's work in their lives and only the way that He can do. As Bob has mentioned many times, nothing is more exciting than a changed life. and We just like to see God... Christ change people's lives, including our own. Let's look at John 4 here, just as an example of a chaos of information. Follow along with me as I read, and I'm going to stop every once in a while here and point out some things that may not be uh, right on the, the text. For instance, some emotions. Starting with verse 4, Christ, and had he had, and. He had come to pass, and he had to pass through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, named near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. So already we have a difference in, in context of how they think, um, ethnicity differences. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, Now, let's just apply a little... Uh, there's some differences here. This man is demanding a drink. Here she is a woman. This man is not a Samaritan. He's a Jew. I doubt the response sounded like this. How is it that you, a Jew, ask... For me, from me, a woman of Samaria, a drink. It wouldn't have sounded like that. It probably could have come across with a real cutting edge to it. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? There might have been some anger behind it. We're not sure, but it probably would not have been a the sweetest tone. 
as the, the text said here, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who is it that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. This woman from Samaritan, hearing this man saying these things, probably had some sense of, Who do you think you are? God or something? The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. This is probably an escalating conversation here. She's responding with a lot of emotion. And if we had been sitting at that well, it may have been very difficult to determine really what was going on. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. You know, that could have probably been not a request as much as it was sarcasm. Oh, you yes. Okay, just go ahead and give it to me then if you're so great and mighty. Because obviously you're not as mighty as our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Talk about layers of chaos. We're dealing with emotions. We're dealing with nationalities. We're dealing with ethnicities. We're dealing with male-female roles. We're dealing with emotions. We're dealing with anger. We're dealing with pride. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. A little misdirect here, question. Now we're into worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here. When the true worshipers will worship with the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Just then His disciples came back. They marveled that He was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek? Why are you talking with her? So the woman left her jar and went away into the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Christ, obviously, knowing the heart of the individual, able to get to that quickly. But if we had been sitting at that well, drawing water, and asked the same questions, we would have had an immense amount of information that we would have had to deal with to try to make sense of. And we are able to do that by God's grace through good questions. So let's talk about the, the need, first of all, to process information biblically, and then we'll look quickly at some practical ways to categorize the information we're gaining. Let's look over in 2 Corinthians 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I want to read 
I'm going to read a, a few verses into the chapter to get some context, but we're going to be mainly looking at the first three verses. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. I feel a divine jealousy for you, for I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if, even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my needs. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silence in the regions of Acacia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows that I do. Let's look at verse, the first three verses. Paul exhorting the Corinthian church here on their relationship with Christ. What he's simply saying is, and using marriage as an example, is that our lives today are simply training grounds for the marriage that is to come. You see that there with his thoughts on marriage. I feel a divine jealousy for you, for I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. In the sense, engaged to Christ now as the groom, as the husband to come of the church, us as the bride. And our preparations, all the situations of life now, are simply preparations for the marriage that is to come. A couple things we can see from this passage is that we want to seek to define relationships as Scripture defines them. Let me read you a couple of labels. There's a lot of labels for uh, relationships in today's world. Engaged, teenagers, stepchildren, girlfriend, boyfriend, just friends, mentor, separated, and you could probably add to that list. Now, Nothing's really wrong with those labels as much as they're not in Scripture and they're hard to define in terms of relationships on what we should, how we should think about them. And it really helps us if we're able to take those labels and slide them underneath the biblical category because all of those come underneath the biblical category. And then that gives us a very clear understanding to quickly begin to understand how do we deal with this relationship. And then, if we're talking to that person and they're talking about their stepchild, we think, well, where does that fit into Scripture? We bring them under the role of parent in Scripture and begin to clearly see, okay, this is how we need to think about these things. This is how we need to biblically process the information that we are gaining. So it helps if we define relationships as Scripture defines them. We also see that uh, just for the purpose of marriage in this passage that marriage now is simply a tool for the marriage then 
So whether it's stress of parenting or communication difficulties or finance difficulties or intimacy, instead of seeing them as problems, keeping us from the dream of all that we would want marriage to be here, we see them as a training ground. We see them as tools to prepare us for the marriage beyond our wildest dreams. Seeing marriage now as a tool for marriage then brings a perspective that creates joy and humility and a deep love for one another as compared to you're the problem in my life keeping me from all that I want. Actually, you're, yes. The last one? Seeing marriage now as a tool for marriage then brings a perspective that creates joy, humility, and deep love for one another. So instead of that person being the problem to getting joy and all that I want out of marriage, I see them as actually the tool that can get me to that point. It's seeing things through biblical lenses as compared to my own desires, which are often sinful. And this applies to a single person as well. You're preparing for marriage then as well, not just now. And you have a different set of tools that God is using to prepare you, but they're still relationships. Family, neighbors, co-workers, church family, bosses, all of these different things are doing the same thing. They're preparing you for marriage then, as well as preparing you possibly for marriage now. Biblical ministry works as it should when we apply the Word of God accurately to a situation. But unless we think biblically about relationships and then process what we are learning about a person within the biblical context of that relationship, we won't be able to apply Scripture accurately. So there's two sides of it. We want to know the truth, but if we don't know the person, we don't know how to accurately put that truth into the correct situation, onto the correct heart situation here. And we might be able to throw out the truth, throw out some truth, you know, hey, you think about this or... Here's a theological thing you might want to think about, or here's a label we might throw out there, but it, or a principle or two, but it's nothing accurate. And we want to be accurate with the truth of God's Word to the heart situation. Let's talk about uh, ways to organize information. And Paul David Tripp has, gives us, or has offered to us four different categories, and I'm going to write them on the board. Thoughts and motives. Situation or situations, thoughts, re- situation, response, thoughts, and motives. For instance, the situation we're asking, we're trying to figure out what's going on. And we're going to walk through a practical example here in a minute to give some better uh, understanding of this. What's going on in the situation? And you would categorize in your mind, or if you were sitting with a person and uh, listening to them over the phone, you could be writing it down, or even in person, taking notes, trying to figure out what is going on. What do I know about this situation that is going on? And then response. What does the person do in response to what is going on? So here's what's going on over here. What are they doing about it? How are they responding? Are they responding in anger? 
Are they re- uh, going elsewhere? How are they responding? Thoughts. What does the person think about what is going on? And you can see that these two right here are beginning to get to the heart of the matter. How are they thinking about this? Because we want to help them think biblically about it. But what does the person think about what is going on? And then motives. What does the person want out of or in the midst of what is going on? So in the situation, what's going on? How are they responding? What does the person do in response to what is going on? What does the person think about what is going on? And what does the person want out of or in the midst of what is going on? You can see there is uh, different ways to organize this information. I'm going to read a story about Betty and Ed right out of the book here. And then we'll walk through how we would approach this information. Betty approached me after the Sunday service. She said that her marriage was a disaster and that she needed to talk immediately. We set up a time to meet, and I asked her to invite her husband, Ed. However, Betty came alone, telling her story emotionally and in great detail. Ed had been unwilling to come, telling her to get her act together or he was out of here. Betty told of an increasingly violent relationship. She and Ed were no longer sleeping in the same room or going anywhere together. They had separate bank accounts and had recently agreed that it was best to eat supper separately. Their two children took turns eating with each parent. Even before their marriage, they had experienced communication problems. Ed felt that Betty was always trying to control him. Betty felt that Ed never paid attention to her viewpoint unless she made it real clear. Yet Ed said that Betty was the most beautiful thing, beautiful woman in the world, and Betty said that Ed was the best thing that ever happened to her. Ed was a mover and a shaker with an expanding import business, and Betty enjoyed being with people that mattered. She had lived in foster homes all her life and never knew her natural parents. Ed was raised in a working-class urban neighborhood. Ed had said for years that Betty was slowly destroying his manhood. Betty confessed to two affairs during the marriage. Ed was very young and she appeared to be the same. Ed was very angry, and she appeared to be the same. Betty made her agenda very clear when we talked. I am not here to work on me, she said. I think I am okay. I am here because my marriage is in trouble. Do you think you can get my husband to talk to you? He's the one who needs help. Oh, boy. Okay. What is the situation? Let's talk about this. You've heard the story here. What's, the, what's, what's some of the situation going on? Conflict? Control. Okay, he's getting into it, huh? But uh, the relationship is violent. Mm-hmm. 
I've got all the answers in the book here. I'll write them on the board if you don't mind. <laughs> Separate bank accounts. Madness. Madness? Yep, I've got that one in anger over there. Communication problems. Hurting children are certainly part of it, but we want to first get to the marriage. Uh, we've got uh, we've got an, we've got anger going on as response, but we've also got uh, yeah agendas, and we've got and we've got a husband who's angry too. Now that that's how he's responding, but that's also part of the situation. I know I'm getting below y'all's reading level over here, so try to write small. Uh, many foster homes. <laughs> sadness good okay now we've got some we've got a lot of situations going on and there's probably more because you could ask questions to determine even more which you would want to do but then you've got the response she came for help without Ed right and she came for Ed She is, uh, not sleeping in the same room. That's a good response. No, not really, but it's a response. She has gotten, she has, uh, yeah, separate bank accounts, separate lives. She's responded by breaking up apart as much as we can. Sounds like also bitterness. Bitterness? Sounds like my sister. Blame. Not your sister-in-law, of course. She's had two affairs. She's confessed those affairs. She has uh, asked you to get Ed help. She's a savage. She's a She's innocent. And he's given her an ultimate. Yep. She's not moving out, and he said, move out. It's an easy one. <laughs> Thoughts? How is she thinking about this? Let's try to get a little bit of a separation here. His fault. His fault. My marriage. She's right. Is in trouble. She's right. She wants the marriage to be restored. She wouldn't ask for help. Yeah. And Cody, not just said it's his fault. It's not her fault. Mm -hmm. Restoration of marriage. So she is thinking about it. Look, how about this one? Ed was the best thing that ever happened to me. Hey, we got. We can't just look at all the negatives. They're still married. Yep. 
I am okay. Motives. What's her motive? I think she wants what she wants. Control? Can I put up peace, comfort? She could, but we don't know that yet. She probably hasn't had an example, maybe. A lot of examples are just a whole bunch of different types of pages. Only the example on TV. Say what? Only the TV example. Yeah. Uh, She wants Ed to change. You could put that under motive. So we've taken an entire story, and we've just taken off face value and organized or tried to organize the information. Now, it's not a perfect organizational system, but you can begin to see patterns, can't you? And it's probably a lot of it is centered around this one right here. Um, There's obviously the pride system that's involved in here, but pride we know is the root of sin. So we've got a lot of We've got a lot of stuff going on, but you you begin to take all of this, which is what we hear. Now, I read it, and I didn't read it with any emotion, and it wouldn't have been a 30-second story. It would have been a half hour at minimum, probably, and she would have had the gamut of emotions, anger, tears, smiles, as she said that Ed was the best thing that ever happened to her, and then she would have had probably remorse as she confessed these two affairs but maybe she would have talked very bitterly about the fact that he is angry and he wants to has given her an ultimatum. So there's these range of emotions. You're not just taking all of the, give me the basic facts. You're having to process it with all these different things. And she might drop in a scripture verse or two. She might talk about God. She might talk about him in a good way. She might talk about him in a bad way. Why would God let this happen to me? Or I know that God is in control, but... And you're trying to process all that information. And you may not be able to process it all at that one time. You could say, Betty, I'm going to pray about this. Could we meet on Tuesday at whatever time? The purpose is is you've got to be able to process this yourself if you want to accurately apply biblical truth to their heart. And that's a, a lot of information to apply very quickly. Now, what we aren't talking about today is what do we do with this information? That's why you've got to keep coming. But... We're trying to get to the heart of the matter. We're trying to understand really what is going on. And obviously, 
uh, we would all know that the situation is simply uh, the, the fruit, as it were, of deeper problems or deeper issues over here. Ed is probably uh, is not innocent in this, nor is he the only party that is guilty in this. Uh, so Ed would have to be brought into the matter, but right out of the gate, you're trying to help her understand uh, God's truth on these things, give her hope. It's what you would want to do, at least in that first time with her, is to give her hope that there is possibility for change because of what God is doing. Now, one question that might come up here is, what about emotions? I don't have a fifth category on here that says emotions. And don't those matter? And don't those play into it? And the answer is, yes, they do matter. They are very important, and they do play into it. Because the Bible depicts a very... Uh, lengthy or very broad amount of human emotions. Let me just read some of them here straight out of the book. Scripture depicts the full range of human emotions. It captures the violent jealousy of Cain, the bitter tears of barren Hannah, the fear of Israel as their Egyptian masters close in on them at the Red Sea. It pictures the joy of national victory, the delights of pure worship, the crushing grief of David over the death death of his son Absalom. It depicts the death wish discouragement of Elijah, the heartlessness of the Pharisees, the desperate pleas of beggars for someone's help. It shows us the fury of Christ in the desecrated temple, his grief and pain over his separation from the Father, his tenderness in seeking out his fearful and confused disciples after his resurrection. It shows Zechariah celebrating the birth of his son and Mary and Martha mourning the death of their brother. The full rainbow of human emotion is depicted in Scripture in a way that only the one who knows the heart could do. So we look in Scripture and we see human emotion is, for lack of a better term, the, 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 the one element that is kind of the same across all of it. There's human emotion involved in all of these things. So why don't we have a fifth category of emotions? Why? Because it's in every single one of these. And emotions help you determine the situation. Emotions help you determine the response or the thought and the motives. It helps you uh, understand what the heart is expressing about those things. We are seeking to know if people are thinking thoughts biblically about a problem. And to help us with that, it is important that we know how they're feeling. That's going to tell us probably how they're thinking. Or our emotions can help us determine the motives as we see what the heart is treasuring or craving because they're expressing in a way um, their desire for why they're doing what they're doing or what they're hoping to gain out of the situation. That's their motives and their emotions can help us determine these things. So we don't have a fifth category, uh, but it's not ignored. It's in every one of these four uh, categories, situation, response, thoughts, and motives. Let me close, uh, conclude with this statement here. We have been sent into this world as messengers of hope to declare the transformative work of Christ for us and in us. To do that effectively, it takes love for Him first, which drives our desire to handle situation with His truth accurately, effectively, and with clarity. And as our love for Him flows over into others around us, because we love Him first, we won't be content with simply skimming over or by or around another person. No, we desire what we desire for them is to see him as all-satisfying, and we do this with good questions, lots of time, 
listening carefully and carefully interpreting what we hear through a biblical paradigm that is not our own. Tripp says, We do all of this to bring the transforming grace of Christ to people as they really are in the midst of what they are really facing. We do all of that because that's what Christ has done for us. He came to us where we really are, where we were, what, with what we were really facing, and He brought His love and His grace that allows us to change from where we are to where He wants us to be. And that gives us hope. That gives us uh, the energy that gives us the ability that we did not have uh, before Christ came and did that for us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, we would delight to be, or we want to delight. We don't always, but we'd ask. And we, delight, uh, we want to delight in being uh, a part of the lives that are around us, the lives that you have placed around us. And you place them there for a purpose. And as Christians, Father, that purpose would be to declare the beauty of Christ. So, Father, give us patience. Give us humility as we talk with one another. Give us a, a real uh, tone of grace and humility. One that listens well, but one that responds with the truth in love. Father, we pray that you would help us as we would uh, be involved in lives. Father, our, our lives, my own life, is a, it, it, there's so many different factors. It can be very confusing how all of the different things play into the current situation. And I pray that you would give us much wisdom. We would ask for that. But help us, Lord, as we would process that information, to process it biblically for the purpose of your glory and for the purpose that we might see ourselves and others around us conform to the image of Christ. We thank you for the example of Christ. We thank you, Father, that he felt what we feel, that he dealt with what we deal with, and that he responded always in perfect obedience to the Father, and he's given us the ability to do so through the Spirit. And when we fail, yet he lifts us again, and we see the grace that has covered all of our sin, past, present, and future. We give you all the glory this morning. We ask that you would um, strengthen us in our hearts this morning as we would worship you, as we would sing together in a few minutes, as we would sit under the preaching of the word. In Jesus' precious name we pray.